All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you snuck in a little bit late, didn't get greeted, which would be kind of impossible here, I kind of challenge you to avoid someone who's kind of nice to you and be, you know, kind of greet you. Be an interesting challenge. I'll give you a dollar if you manage to sneak in and no one said hi to you. But if you didn't, if by some manage, I now, by some, you know, way, I owe you a dollar, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, I, um, I'm so, I'm super excited about today's message. But uh, a couple of things I want to tell you before we get into our series, you make the call and all that kind of stuff. I want to just kind of let you know a little bit of church business. If you're new, you might care about this because this person is international fame I'm about to introduce. Uh, but if you are, um, this is your home church, this is really, really good news to you. Um, you've probably met this person before, but I want you to just formally meet her. Um, so we have, uh, we have, since I've been here, we've had a couple different people in charge of our children's ministry. And our kids' ministry is among the most, like all ministries are important, but we just can't make stuff happen without our kids' ministry, seriously. And so we have hired someone, and she has hired a team, and we have a whole armada of kids' workers. We're really excited about that. But I want you to meet the point person for that. That is Rachel Runyon. So Rachel, come on up here. This is Rachel. She, I'm one of her biggest fans, just so you guys know. Um, she is incredibly skilled at getting stuff done. Some of you, like right after we brought her on board. By the way, she's, you know, been like in, ministry, in children's ministry since she was 19 years old. She's 67 years old today. And so <laughs> she has just, I mean, she's been doing it for a long time. But she knows how to do all kinds of stuff. So many of you guys were looking for someone to kind of give us some, some direction, some structure. She is all about structure. And um, in fact, like right away, some of you guys who have kids, you, you're like, wow, now all of a sudden we're checking our kids in through a, a self-check-in system. Am I okay with that? And all of a sudden you realize it's kind of genius. That's her. She made that happen. All right. Um, we have got, she hired some great people to be on her team. We could not be more excited. I'm telling you, we hired her on an interim basis. And I was like, hey, would you really want to consider coming on on a more permanent basis? She's like, let me see. And I'm like, please say yes. And so she said yes. The dream is alive. Okay. So can we welcome her um, for, like permanently on her staff? So she's awesome. Thank you, Rachel. She's awesome. All right. She's very cool. By the way, she's, you know, she's all into like foster kids and her husband's a firefighter. And so everything she does is like somehow better than whatever you're doing. You know, that kind of thing. So very excited about Rachel. All right. Now we are in the third week of a series called You Make the Call. It has been a great series. I've had lots of great comments from people, lots of great interactions with folks. Everything from the first week we started, you know, kind of push people a little bit in worship and responding to last week, some of the practical stuff we talked about. I had a, someone um, email us and said, I want to talk to my own kids about what we talked about last week about walking with the wise or walking with fools. And if you miss some of those, it'd be great to catch up on the podcast or online. It'd be a good idea to catch those things up. But as we move the series forward, I just want to give you a sense of kind of where we're coming from, what it's about, which is this, that there are so many decisions that we have every single day in our lives that can't simply be decided based on good or bad or right or wrong. They're just not that simple. In fact, more often than not, they have a subtlety to them and a, a sort of shades of gray kind of thing. How are we supposed to do this? And the actual, the actual way we navigate those difficult decisions is through something the Bible calls wisdom. In other words, we're faced with difficult choices and difficult calls all the time. And the way in which we figure out what we're supposed to do isn't by getting greater intelligence. It's by growing in wisdom. Because we know smart people can do dumb things. But wise people, well, they can direct the course of their lives. So let's do this. As we talk today, in fact, let me just, as before we do this, look at the scripture. We've been kind of using it as kind of a banner statement over the course of the whole series. It's in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It just says this. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Which guidance we've been saying is the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word meaning to, be, to steer. That if we could garner wisdom, we'd be able to actually direct the course of our lives. And that's kind of our idea. And, and what I want to tell you before we get into today is this. Like last week, today is so, so simple. It is so 
Simple. It's so beneath you. You'll be like, that's it? That's all you got for me? That's, what, that's it? At least I got an album today. I mean, it's, it's going to be so beneath you. If you. I mean, you can miss it. And if you're with us last week, we said this, just this concept to hold on to, which is, it is often that the simplest, most obvious things that we face, the question, the most, the, like the most obvious stuff is the stuff we miss the most. And I just want to challenge you that today as we talk, you're going to be thinking, I don't know if I need this. Give me something more. And I would say, I think this is all you need. But it is, it is incredibly simple. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, every single one of us in this room needs guidance. We are all, you know, aware of need of, of some part of our life needing change. Every one of us, if we just spent a moment and we were asked the question, what is it that would need to be changed if we could change it? We could all find something in our lives that isn't going as we planned. And so, Lord, as we gather today, as we look at your word, as we consider what it is that you might have for us, we ask, Father, that you would speak to us. Lord, some of us came in here very aware of our need for change. Some of us walked in today afraid. Some of us walked in here on our last leg. Some of us were concerned this was all we had left. And so, Jesus, just for a moment, as we tend to do is, is our own habit, would you give us a moment a pause. We just, we give you a second and ask God that you would speak to us about whatever path of life that we might be on. Would you illuminate it? Would you make it clear to us whether it is where we should be or not, should not be, where we should leave it or where we should avoid it? So we give you a second just to consider who you are. Jesus, our lives need change. And it's our prayer, it's a bold prayer, that during the course of this time, our lives would be different. We would think different. We would, we would consider things differently than the way that we came in today. That today would be different than yesterday because of whatever it is that you might do in and through us, Father. So it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Like I said, it's very good to be with you guys. I'm excited about today. If you want to follow along, you have an outline that's in your bulletin. Love for you to take that out and kind of follow along with us. There's a lot. This is, a, this is kind of, you'll see some like graphs and charts and all kinds of stuff on there. We're getting very technical. You can tell the super graphics team went to work, which is me, uh, just drawing some stuff. But you'll take a look at some of that stuff and you'll be like, it's going to be awesome. So um, as you're getting that stuff out, if you want to follow along, by the way, you'll see all the scripts you need will be on the screen. It's also on your outline. And if you want to follow along, um, as well on some kind of digital device, do so. We'll be spending some time in Proverbs 1 and 2, and then we'll be dancing around a little bit after that. But I um, encourage you to take notes. So um, as you're doing that, let me just kind of get us started. Um, years ago, a bunch of us, a bunch of the pastors at Mariners, we went on, we went on a little retreat. And uh, part of that retreat was up in the mountains, and we went, we went mountain biking. And um, so sorry, as I'm trying to fix technology up here, which is my specialty. Um, but we went mountain biking, and this one guy who took us out there, one of the guys on our staff was a guy who's like a competitive cyclist. And I don't know like the rankings, but he's like, a, you know, he's like a warm-up. You know, he'd show up at the office and he'd be like, you know, did you get a little ride in today? He goes, yeah, just a short ride, just 72 miles, just a quick loop. And I was like, sure, <laughs> that's a quick loop. That's, I mean, that's, a, that's torture, okay? But he's the guy who's a cyclist, and we're all, all the bikes are set out. And he starts giving us the rundown on how we're supposed to ride bikes, which all of us are like, <laughs> We know how to ride bikes, you know. I bought a bike, and, and you know, we're going mountain biking, I should say this, you know. And I, I, I have a mountain bike. I paid for it with my own money when I was 12 years old, 13 years old. 
it's, I still have it, um, and it has a basket on it. I put my kids' towels and stuff in there and ride to the... So I, I am not really a cyclist. I have a bike and know how to ride a bike. But this guy's saying this. He's like, okay, here's what gear you're going to want to be in. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we know. If it's hard to pedal, put it in a gear which makes it easier to pedal. I'm kind of mocking him and stuff and the whole thing. Well, he goes, he goes, and then he says this one thing. And it was like the shocking thing he said. He goes, he goes, he looks at us and he goes, you guys, when you're on the trail, you're on this path, he goes, look where you want to go. Look not at what you want to avoid. In other words, there's an obstacle in there. Look not at what you wish to avoid. Instead, look where you want to go. And I was like, wow. And then he just vanished into a puff of smoke and elevated into the, it was like, <laughs> it was like the wisest thing anybody's ever said. And what he's saying is, you, the way you aim your own eyes is the way you can avoid stuff. Because you're going to encounter things in the mountain. You're going to be distracted. Don't look at the stuff you want to avoid. Look where you want to go. And I'm like, that's smart. Okay, what else do you want to tell me about riding bikes? What's this thing right here? That, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're riding bikes. And sure enough, you know, one of the guys flies off the handlebars, goes sailing out over into the, into the trees. He literally, there's two like aspen trees where we were. And he just, he just had no other hope except, you know, he's going to go over this like hill. And he just decides, I'm just going to go like this and take a tree on each arm. And he just did. And it was like, it was, he, he had bruises all over both, like just, you know, his arms all, and it was like, wow, you really ate it. And I go, you're looking at what you wanted to avoid, huh? He goes, yeah, I was. I mean, he just fell right into this whole thing. Now, we live lives where there's tons of distractions. Whatever it is in terms of, to use the metaphor, whatever path it is that we're on, good or bad, there are things that pop up every so often. There are things that get in our way. There are things that we see off in the distance that get our attention. And we have a hard time figuring out how to, how to navigate a path. Now, what we do know is the more often that we do the same kind of thing, the more often that we're able, the easier it becomes to do it, good or bad. The more often we're distracted, the more often we avoid distractions, the easier it becomes to avoid those things altogether. Now, we're all familiar with paths. There's some of us who are on paths we want to leave. There's things that we've been on over the course of our life that we're going, I wish I could. I need to leave this. I don't want to be doing this anymore. Others of us, as we look at our own lives and there's secret paths, whatever, there's someone we can't get out of. Some of us are stuck in a rut. Others of us have worked really hard to protect the path that we're on, whether or not it's good or bad, whether it's leading to life or somewhere else. We've worked really hard to protect those things. Others of us have just wound up somewhere and we didn't know how we got there. But this path concept, it's all over Scripture. It's all over Proverbs. And it is this idea, you know, that there is then this way in which we live that has steps that then kind of go with it. I just want to show you just some examples of good and wise, you know, wisdom and paths, as well as sort of the, the, the other, sort of the counter version of that as well. But here's just, it's not on your outline, but just so you take a look at this. Here, look, wisdom leads to paths of peace, paths of uprightness, of help avoid entrapment, paths of the righteous provide enlightenment, observe the paths of your life, and your entire journey will be secure. Wisdom provide paths of justice. The path of the upright is a level highway. Now, there's all these sort of, like, now you can see the contradiction. Here's the other version right here. The, the sort of evil has crooked paths in devious ways. Bad associates offer paths to death. The path of the wicked leads to danger. Lack of discipline takes one off the path. The way, another word of saying path. The way of the wicked is guilty. The way of the crooked will lead to a fall. Now, the metaphor is throughout the entire book of Proverbs. And the intention is that people, that's just, you know, the, the writing here isn't just that people would believe something in their head, that they would have a private experience of faith, but rather that their, the impact of their faith would be lived out. And Proverbs is so practical. It has such an, in, like, an insistence that we would live out the way in which we're told. That's wisdom. Not just knowing, but putting into action the things that we know. 
So here's what it says at the beginning of your outline. This is, again, kind of this guy Solomon, or you know, at least it's been credited to Solomon, who's writing to his own son saying, pay attention to this stuff so you can put this stuff into action. Here's what he says. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look, up, look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, you understand, we, we've talk, kind of talked about this in the first week, if you're with us, which is that in order to get your, your whole life aimed correctly down whatever path it is that you might go or steering in such a way that you avoid certain stuff is that it begins and ends with an understanding that we are not God and that God is. And so he says, you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Then verse six, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those who, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful one. So you have all these words, again, course and way and path. These are all things that kind of indicate where life is headed, has a direction and how to give direction to your own life. And he says this to finish off that little section of scripture. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair every good path. See, there is a way, and you know it, but you know, as if you're there, most of us, more often than not, know which way we're supposed to go. More often. Some of us don't. I mean, that's true. Some of us are, we just don't know. But I would say more often than not, we know the way we're supposed to go. And that is, according to G.I. Joe, for those of you who grew up with G.I. Joe cartoons, half the battle, right? No one is half the battle, right? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. But it's not enough. It's, it's only one half of the battle, so to speak. That There's another side of this in which we say, how do we live this out? And the way in which we kind of live that out is sort of our own forming of paths. For some of us who came in here today, we're in a path that feels more like a rut. We've lived in it for a long time. Maybe some of us have become really good at covering it up kind of burying it with some other things, but we're stuck. There's no other way around it. We're stuck. And we're longing so desperately to get out of it. We don't know how. We don't have the tools. We're not sure what to do. We come in here and we're just going, please, God, I need something to just literally grab me out of this rut and throw me somewhere else because I can't live like this anymore. Some of you are in a situation where you know where you ought to be and just want to change and you don't know how. Some of you have tried every single path that the world has to offer. You've walked down at a certain distance and decided this looks pretty good for a while and now you don't know how to get out. And maybe this is a day, maybe just today, it's a day where you go. Maybe Jesus is trying to get a hold of your attention a little bit. And he's saying, you've tried every other path. Do you want to try mine and see where it leads? You see, all of us have something in our lives we want to change. No one in here, as we say, if we're new with us, we say every week that no one in here has it all together. Some of us are better at faking it than others, but nobody has it all together. Everybody's a work in progress. We're all people trying to follow Jesus and love each other, and none of us does that perfectly. So all of us are in the same boat and that we need something in our own lives to change. How? I saw some research this week from Stanford. Guys looking at how do people, this isn't a Christian, this is a guy who's just looking at how do people in the world, how do they have behavioral change? How do they redirect or create new patterns or new paths in their lives such that there's a way they can change? 
And here's what he found. There's a couple different ways. One is that people change their environment, that they establish new behavior if you change their environment. So people are used to things being a certain way. They kind of adopt a pattern in which they live in it, a path. And then if you change the pattern, you, take the, you change the environment, you take a kid to a new school or you, you move or you, um, you change the work environment that you're in, the patterns will change too. That's dumb. The other thing we know is that people change their behaviors if they have an epiphany. They have like a wild, spiritual, enlightening experience that there's some way or another where they just go, oh my gosh, I never knew. And now with this new revelation, I live differently. Now, I want to tell you, I can't change your environment. I can tell you that some of you I know come in here every week hoping for an epiphany. That the work you're wanting God to do in your life is going to be so overwhelmingly amazing. And I do believe that that happens to people. I've talked to people who say, I came to church. I was overwhelmed. I've done some things. I'm now choosing. I know that's happened. That happens. But for a lot of us, it doesn't always happen. We come to church, we're excited about hearing some stuff. Maybe we hear a message or we get to respond with the way the band is leading us and we're excited to see people, but we don't have an epiphany. We might have some insight, but we don't have an epiphany. And for some of you, it'll be so frustrating if today there's no epiphany, no moment, no spiritual awakening that happens in a flash. For some of you, that may be the epiphany, that there may not be one. Like, oh, wow, that's just, there's going to be something else today. There's another way, he says, this Stanford researcher. He says, there's another way people initiate behavioral change, good or bad. It's that they begin new habits or new patterns or new paths. And it's not shocking. It's not that we know this. There's, if we begin to start having little tiny paths, something happens. Because we know this because we're path people. Every one of us, we're all path people. This is how we live. We understand what that looks like. We've been path people forever. We know how it works. You know, um, there's... Uh, we like and are comfortable with paths. I want to show you there's this, this graphic. Oh, I forgot to give it to you guys. Shoot, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? I'm going to describe a graphic then because I don't have it on the screen. Again, crack graphics team right here just doing it. What they do at, at, um, at universities now, when they're, when they're laying out the university in the past, some of you know this is called the, the desire path. And what they do is this. They will lay out where, where students are going to be walking. They will have a, just a grass area. And instead of laying out the concrete where they think people will walk, they wait until the paths are actually formed, the tread paths are formed by people where they're walking to class and stuff like that. Then they go, that must be where everybody walks. We're putting our, our concrete there. And you can see places, there's examples, which if you can imagine one on the screen right now, just imagine it, where people have made a path, an actual concrete path, and next to it is a worn path through the grass. Because what people do is they find the path that has the least resistance, that gives them the most reward, and they take that one, and they wear it down until it becomes a pattern, until it becomes not just something they've done once, but because it becomes something they've done all the time. We're path people. I, um, I, you know, I, was, I remember I was, I, I have, there's some, for those of you guys who are, we, last week we prayed for our teachers and stuff, those of you guys who are high school teachers, just to let you know, it wasn't completely lost on me. I, I remembered my junior year English, and I wanted to, I remembered, um, Henry David Thoreau. I was like, there's something that Thoreau says about paths. And I wanted to show you this quote. It's, it's right here. I, I'm just bringing it up on the screen. This is from um, his writing on, when he's at Walden Pond. It says this, I left the woods for as good a reason as I went there. Perhaps it seemed to me that I had several more lives to live and cannot spare any more time for that one. It's remarkable how easily and insensibly we fall into a particular route and make a beaten track for ourselves. I had not lived there a week before my feet wore a path from my door to the pond side. And though it's five or six years since I trod it, it's still quite distinct. 
Remember, Henry David Thoreau is a person who went to the woods to live deliberately. That's his famous line. And he found himself going, I wanted to make sure everything I did every single day found no pattern. That I was, everything I did, it wasn't just simply because I had always done it that way. It's that I chose to do it. And he found within a week he had worn a path between his house, the cabin, and this pond. And he kind of shocked him. I'm not doing that anymore. Then he says this. It's true, I fear, that others may have fallen into it, his own path, and so helped to keep it open. The surface of the earth is soft and impressible by the feet of men, and so with the paths with which the mind travels. How worn and dusty, then, must be the highways of the world. How deep the ruts of tradition and conformity. We are past people. We all are. We form paths, we form habits, we all have them. There's things that we do in which we just sort of live in a path and we kind of unthinking do it. We're path people. All of us are. Just consider for a moment the order in which you go to bed every night. I bet it's the same every single night. Where you take off your shoes, what order you brush the teeth, go to the bathroom, whatever, you know, late, but how you get dressed, where you, get, you know, where you put your clothes, whether they have a spot, whatever, whatever you say to your wife or your kids if you're married, whatever you say to the dog, if you have a dog, whatever you, wherever you throw the cat, if you have a, but whatever it is, you probably do the same thing. When you get in your car every single morning, more than likely, you start it in the same way. Some of you might start it, check the mirror, put your seatbelt on. Some of you might do seatbelt, mirror, check, eyeglass, whatever it is. You, might, you have a pattern and you live in it because you unthinkingly just sort of have fallen into a habit. It's not an immoral habit. It's just what you do. We are path people. What we have to remember is we choose the path that we're on. We choose it. That's the reality of paths. We choose the path. And that path, it gives me what I want. We are path people. We're bound to some way of the way we think about paths. We're path people. There's no question about that. We form paths. We make them. We, we walk over them over and over again. It's just kind of the, our own nature. We choose that path. Now, there might have been influence on other people that might have helped us to kind of get to where we are, good or bad. But we choose it. And the path that we're on rewards us in some capacity or another. Even if we think to ourselves, this isn't the one I should be on. We're still getting something by walking in this way. Let, let me just give you a sense. The, the, on your outline, you have a little graphic. You have this idea. There's just a little circle there. It is just sort of this habit loop. And it looks like this. It just says that there is a cue or a trigger. There's a routine or an action that follows from that cue or the trigger. And then there's some kind of reward. You know, let me just give you a sense of what I mean. So really simple. When I was a kid, I st- we were talking about this in our office today. Some of you have habits you, you have not left since you were a kid. And even though you're a full-grown adult, you are an independent thinker, freed up to do whatever it is that you want, you have still lived in these habits. I have, my, when I was a kid, my, my mom would make sure whenever we went to any restaurant, whatever it was, if it served French fries, those were the things that were eaten last. Anybody else have this rule with their parents? Like you can eat the burger. Nobody else had this? Oh, gosh, you have much kinder. My mom's here, but you have much kinder parents than my own mother. Okay? Uh, so... What we, it was like, she didn't want me to fill up on the French fries, eat the super healthy hamburger first, right? Which we all know. <laughs> really? Okay. So I would always eat the hamburger first, then I'd have the fries. It was just the way I did. So eventually, I mean, basically I had to get used to either eating really fast, which I have no problem with, or eating really cold French fries, which are totally unacceptable. So I ate fast. Now, the reason why I did that is because presumably there's more nutrition in a hamburger. Who knows? But to this day, I am 38 years old. We will sit down, I will eat a hamburger first, and then I will eat my fries. I was rewarded as a kid, like, good job, Jeffrey. Well done, that's how you eat, good job. And somehow, they're still in my head. That's just, just I created a habit. And if I do it the other way, it's like something's wrong. Something's weird here. 
I don't know if I'll have enough room to eat all this stuff, which I have enough room. But I don't know if I'll be able to do it, right? You have all kinds of stuff like that. There are things which we still do, which we don't even think about. There's, there's habits for which we already have. You know, where I put my keys when I come home. There was, uh, this, this, is a, this is a habit I realized, super embarrassing when I was um, dating my wife. This is, I was in college. I, I had long hair. Super cool. Um, but I, I was like super concerned about it. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And she had this, she, we were, we're driving, she had this Volvo and the, the mirror, like the little vanity mirror, and it is a vanity mirror. Didn't realize I was vain until this moment. But there's like a little mirror, and that mirror was in the glove compartment. And I'd always, I guess I'd always get in the car. The moment we get in the car, I'd get in the car and like check my cool hair. Okay, that's cool. Let's go. How lame. I can't believe she managed to stay. This is like the worst. Okay, so I'm like, this looks cool, you know, whatever. So eventually, <laughs> this is, the, talk about grace, because it was so dumb. She just goes, she just, one time she just puts a post-it note on there that said, I love you. And I was like, she knew I was going to look at this. I'm not doing that anymore. But I had a habit I had had. She had seen it. She'd observed it and saw this is what this goes. Now, when you talk about the simplest way to actually view this is in, is in addiction. Addiction, people who, have, people who are in recovery know this better than anybody else. It is to say when they encounter some kind of a cue, a trigger, unhappiness, loneliness, boredom, desire, fear, Whatever it might be, some kind of stressor, there's an action. Usually it's an addictive, you know, it's some kind of not so incredibly helpful thing. There's some kind of action that goes with it, whether it's drug addiction or whatever else it is or porn or anything else, that somehow gives to them a reward. And over the course of time, trigger, action, reward, trigger, response, reward, that this routine begins to form. And it so happens that when we encounter a trigger and we don't get to be able to engage in the behavior, we don't get the reward and we start craving it. Thus, a path is born. And we walk upon it. We walk along it. We consider that our whole world, just for a moment, is built on trying to create in you Habits that you unthinkingly go down and need and require for your own existence. And when you don't have them, you wonder what happened to the world. And it's so subtle. It's so all around. It's such an issue within the world. We barely even notice it. Things that are intended to make you crave them when you don't have them. Whatever it might be. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 12, he says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We read this last week. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is a famous verse. If you grew up in the church, more than likely you've heard this verse before. It is to say that there is a pattern in the world. The world itself is full of path people that are trying to generate for you a way in which you walk and live that is down a path. And not every one of those paths is a good path, as Proverbs says. So what do we do? Now, I want to tell you, some of you are going, okay, I want to try to make some change in my life. I want to get out of these things. Before we do that, I'm going to give you something incredibly practical in a minute. But before we do that, I want to give you a sense of what you have to get first. Okay, so check this out. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. So before you get all excited, you've got to hear this first. For this reason, this is the Apostle Paul writing, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now I want you to understand something. If you remember at the very beginning, what we read in Proverbs chapter 2, is that God gives wisdom and understanding. Paul's saying it's the Holy Spirit who gives wisdom and understanding here. 
Which means if you want to understand how to live and wisdom, how to apply it in your life, it is God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside people who belong to him such that he might transform their life and they might begin to live it out. You have to understand that first before we get to the next thing. That there is a way in which God works that is a spiritual process of transformation that is connected to the Holy Spirit. If we miss that, because some of you are going to hear some stuff later, you're going to go, how am I supposed to just, it has to start with that. For those of you who, like I said before, are stuck in some kind of a rut, you felt your life kind of being carried away and you can't figure out how to get unstuck, it starts and ends with the person of Jesus who then rescues you out of those things. You can wait as long as you want. Some of you are investigating Jesus. I get that. But what the Bible will tell us, what Christians believe, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the rescuing power, has the rescuing power of Jesus, which lives inside of us. You have to know that. Continuing on, verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, and so on. So it's a long, run sentence there, which I put there. But here's what I want you to capture. The idea, Paul uses this word a lot, the idea of living living a life worthy. This actually translates, the word live in lots of Paul's writing translates as the word walk. This literally translates walk worthily of the Lord. The whole language of faith, again, isn't something for our private spiritual experience. We live in a world which says, especially in the West, which is if you have a spiritual experience, that's wonderful. Keep it to yourself. Because if you start talking about it or living it out in some other capacity where it affects public life, then the patterns of the world are going to get upended and we can't have that. So keep your private spiritual experience to yourself. And Paul's saying, what he's saying throughout all what you get throughout all the scripture is, you have to make an individual decision, yes, for faith. But it isn't simply a private understanding. It's that it is actively lived out and that's wisdom, which means it could actually be noticed by other people. Now, that being said, we're all, everybody's, we're all clear on this, right? Before I get to the real practical stuff, because I don't want you to replace the Holy Spirit with what I'm about to give you next. All right. There are practical stuff. Here we go. So how do we sort of form these, these habits? How do we do? What are we supposed to do with these new sort of patterns? How do we make these things? I'm going to give you something incredibly practical. Those of you who are waiting for an epiphany, prepare to be underwhelmed, okay? Here we go. We are aware that we need change. Jesus talked about, when he talked to his disciples, he was giving them a sense of what it looked like to walk with him. He says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Again, path language, you get the idea. There's a big, broad path. Everybody's walking on There's a small path we take. Now, I think, and I think there's absolute truth to what, you know, what I'm about to say, which is most of the time I've heard this passage, and I agree with the way it's been said. I've taught it this way. I believe it. That it's describing a way which is incredibly difficult. And, we have always, and the way I've always taught it is that it's always difficult, this small path that Jesus kind of gives us, the narrow gate. But I want you to consider that maybe there's some simplicity in the smallness of that path. That it isn't just difficult because it's small. That maybe there's something really simple in that path. If I was to ask you, what are some habits that you're looking to initiate in your life, some things that you want to do most of the time? When people start thinking about having new habits or forging new paths, most of the time they think about things that are incredibly difficult, that require an enormous amount of skill, a huge amount of motivation, and they don't have success. So let me give you something here, and we'll talk about this a little bit. If I can figure out how to turn on this device, which is called an iPad, I believe. Okay, here we go. Is this going to work? 
Science. Okay, here we go. There we go. You have that, you have that chart on your outline. Why don't you take a look at it? Now, there's, this is research again from Stanford that says, walk, looking at people who have made changes in their life through habits. Most of the time, people who are looking to make a change in their life, they start saying things like, you know what I want to do and run a marathon. Now, remember the habit loop, too. There, the, the habit loop. If I said, if I cued you 100 times a day and just said, run a marathon, run a marathon, run a marathon, about three of us in here would be like, I'm all over that. I love that idea. The rest of us would be like, that is too hard. Oops, sorry. Yeah, that's too hard, and we have a low level of motivation. Can't do it. Even if we were really motivated, it might still be incredibly difficult for us because we're not there yet. We can't get there. It's too hard for us to get there. The Stanford researcher took all these people and he said, who, how do they figure out how to actually have these changes in their life? And he said, what we need for people are things like that require not that much motivation that are incredibly easy. And he said, right over here, somewhere above this line, right in here, that's the activation threshold. Meaning, if you can get above this line, you can do stuff. Otherwise, you can't. It's just too hard to create a habit, a path. So his research started by saying, how do I, I, I want to be someone who flosses their teeth, okay? Now, my guess is, how many of you, like, literally every single night floss your teeth? Stop bragging. That's totally arrogant, okay? The rest of us, how many of the rest of you guys floss your teeth the moment before you go to the dentist? So twice a year, you floss your teeth, and you walk in there with your gums bleeding like vampire, and they look at you and go, you floss every day? Every day before I come here. <laughs> right twice a year sometimes once a year depends if i'm how busy i am flossing the car you know just driving i got it trying to drive with your knee totally okay now this guy's no different than us he goes i want to try and be someone who flosses my teeth and so what i'm going to do every night is i will try to floss one tooth one tooth not all 32 do you have 32 teeth does anybody know anybody dentist in here how, how many teeth do we have 32 that was right who said that no one knows. But yeah, 32. Uh, that's right. That's around 30. 64 teeth. Okay. Uh, however many teeth you have, I'm assuming it's around 30. He didn't say, I want to try and floss all 30, 32. He just said, I want to floss one tooth a night. And so he tried to figure out, how do I do this? He asked the people that he was researching, he said, what things would you like to see in your life? And the people, Christians or not, had all kinds of thoughts. They said, well, I'd like to have greater intimacy with my wife. I'd like to have more, uh, uh, I'd like to have a deeper relationship with my kids. I'd like to give more time here. I'd like to have a better work or life balance. How do we do it? We don't know how because we have high motivation. We don't have the ability. And after we, you know, there's a trade-off between a motivation and ability, which is if I can't get there, I start not having the motivation anymore and I sort of trail off. So what do I do? So we have to initiate these people as he's talking to them. We want to initiate habits that have a cascading positive effect that would spawn new good habits, and thereby the path gets made. So for instance, one guy said, I just want to have a greater intimacy with my wife. I want to figure out how to do that. When I walk in the, the door, I want to see something happen that hasn't happened before. I, it's on me. I got to figure it out. I want to know what happens. We know that cascading effect of things like this to people, for people who start having daily, or I mean, sorry, regular family meals. We know that the cascading effect of that is something like this. People who dine together regularly, not at a restaurant, but at their own home, they start seeing greater intimacy among their own kids and family, and they start seeing that there's more money saved, and there's better nutritional benefits, and so on and so forth down the road. But it starts with, I just want to be this way. So how do we create these kind of habits? Some of them, as we're going to talk about here, well, I should say this way. You're now wondering, which habits should I create? You could make this just about you trying to like lose weight. I hope this hasn't become that talk for you. I just want to do this, and Jeff's going to give me a habit to like lose weight. Or Okay, great. I, wonderful that you're fit. But I want you to understand the question that we look at 
for someone who wants to live wisely, who wants to walk in such a way that their paths are guided in the right direction, is that we adopt a certain, a couple of habits, a couple of paths, a couple of things that we sort of do over and over again that have a cascading effect that direct us and aim our hearts toward God. Because there's lots of things that want our attention, lots of habits we already have, ranging from cell phone usage to Netflix show binge, binge watching, because you can't watch one episode of any show at a time. You've got to watch at least six until your brain can not take it anymore, right? All of these kind of things we have that are habits in our life, we want to initiate some new ones that actually work, that actually are about getting our heart after God. Now, here's what I want to say. Here's the formula this guy had. He said what I, the problem, he's like, this guy was trying to figure out how to floss one too. He goes, initially it failed. He's like, I couldn't, I'd brush my teeth and go to bed, whatever. And he goes, I needed to set it up such that it would work. And he goes, what I needed was the right cue. Remember, every single habit starts with a cue or some kind of trigger. And he goes, my cue will be, after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. That's simple. He's like, that's going to be, I will say it out loud. I will put it above my, you know, my sink, whatever. After I, flo- after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. So brush, brush, brush. Oh my gosh, it's so late. Boink, one tooth. I'm all done. Now the idea here is he doesn't have to be super motivated to be all you healthy dental people who lied anyways. We all know you lied about bro- flossing your teeth every night. The idea was if I could start there, then maybe I'll get to seven or eight teeth. Maybe I'll do all the bottom teeth. Maybe I'll do the top teeth eventually. But I got to start where it doesn't require a lot of motivation. And it's relatively easy. Now, in, when we talk about paths that are talked about from a, from a, um, from a, the standpoint of kind of aiming our hearts at God, the traditional name for these things is called the spiritual disciplines. Now, if I started out by saying, we're going to have a talk on spiritual disciplines, most of you'd be like, I don't really, that's, what time, what time is this over? Okay, I get it. But here's what I want to say. Your hearts were intended to be aimed at Jesus. They were. And most of us, when we hear that, we're like, okay, pastor's going to say, go ahead, take home the book of Colossians and memorize it by Monday. You know, I don't know how to do it. You know, we're going to have all these expectations for ourselves. That's like saying to you, let's all leave right now and go run a marathon. But what if we said, I'm going to read one verse of the Bible a day? That's it. Even those of you guys who are skeptics, you're like, not sure about Jesus, you could read a verse of the day. Like, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. I read it one verse every day. And not so much that you just say, I'm going to find some time in the day to do it. Set up a cue. After I brush my teeth at night, I will read, because most of you probably read the Bible on your, you know, your phone. Some of you have an old paper Bible, and I have both. And whatever, whatever you need, I will read one verse. That's it. Just read one. It's not that hard. Even if you're miserable. I, I, I started writing scripture on my, you know, my kids. Every so often I write like a, a verse on my kids' bathroom. And my youngest son, who can't read yet, he's like, get it down, take it down, take it down. I'm like, why? He's like, I hate it. I'm like, and my, his, his brother goes, who's 10, goes, you hate the Bible, Scotty? And he goes, yes, I hate the Bible. Ooh, they look at me like, is he allowed to say that? And I'm like, no. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know. <laughs> but we want to create such a kind of life where we're doing these kinds of things that might have a cascading effect. Let me tell you about some of the things that people in this guy's research were, Okay. He goes, one person said, his after I, this is how simple it was. After I come in the door, wives, tell me how much you'd appreciate this. After I come in the door, I will kiss my wife for 10 seconds. Some of you are like, 10 seconds, that's it? 10 seconds, count it out. Yeah. <laughs> now hopefully that guy is a mint. Okay, that's like, 
One, one person said, every night, when I put my kids to bed, I will tell them, good night, and I love you. That's something that person needed. How simple it would be if we could direct the floss one tooth kind of mentality towards our own spiritual disciplines because most of us decide it is too hard to follow. We just, it's too, the path is too hard. I'd rather just follow along with the word, what the world does. Some of you have never really initiated any prayer in your life ever because you're too intimidated by it. What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? You know, my daughter, my friends last night, they took their, their daughter to the hospital for an appendicitis, you know, appendectomy is what it's called. So we're praying together, and my daughter starts praying. And I wish that they, they I go, no, 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 just pray. I pray that you, you know, Jesus would heal. She's like, okay, so she prays it again. Some of us, are, we don't have the right language. We're nervous about it. No one ever told us that kind of stuff. What if every day when you started your car, you had a one-sentence prayer that is a prayer of gratitude to God? After I start my car, I will thank God that I'm alive. Some of you work in an environment where the people there are obnoxious. You have a terrible boss. You work around obnoxious people who are miserable people, who make your life miserable, who are ruining every possible moment of your life. But you know that you can't live living like that all the rest of your life. So you go, after I walk in the door, I will thank and publicly affirm a person in that office. I really appreciate, even if you have to do it through gritted teeth, I really appreciate your working with me. Whatever you got to say, do it. You see, there is a cascading effect of these things that happens in our hearts. Most of us look at the idea of this idea of following Jesus as this kind of like mystical thing for really rare people. Some of you are looking like, I want to be a generous person, but I don't know how. Don't start with, I'm going to give all my money to the poor. Well, you could do that. That's wonderful. But say, after I buy something, whatever it is, after I buy anything, I will, buy either through my phone or through whatever else it is, I will give some of whatever I have away. And it should be simple. It should be easy. It should be something that sets you on a path. Don't set your sights so high that if you're trying to aim for a marathon and all you can do is one lap around a high school track, that you call yourself a failure if you can only run one lap around the track. Start with a lap. Floss one tooth. Begin that path with one step. Look, Christians, I should tell you this too. Church people, you have a problem with this. This is, the spiritual disciplines are a weird thing because in your head, what you think is, I do these things so that God will be pleased with me. I do these things so God will love me and think I'm wonderful and awesome. So I do these things so God can give me more stuff so I can get his blessing. It isn't like that. That's a magic trick. That's magic. We do an incantation and God's supposed to do that. We don't do magic. What this does is it aims your heart such that you can hear from and understand the wisdom that the Spirit gives that you might live differently. It is cultivating a kind of heart. It's not about trying to get God to love us more. It's about something different, about what happens to us. Here's something just to consider. Check this out. It's on your online. I don't know if it's on your online, but this. We do not practice spiritual disciplines or paths so that God will be pleased with us. We don't do this to make God love us. He already does. He gave everything he had that he might love you. Instead, we practice the spiritual discipline so that we will be pleased with God. That we would go, God is delightful and he wants to enrich my life. That he has intention for me. There's a, a famous phrase that um, a, a pastor has that his own dad gave to him, which was this. God has great plans for your life. I don't want you to miss them. That's the spirit of that. Some of you need to start and initiate a relationship with God that's a single step. Others of you are looking for bigger things. You need some kind of epiphany. Well, what if that epiphany is simply that you get to take a small step to create some cascading habits, a pathway for your life? In a moment, we're going to respond together. We're going to, we're going to respond in singing. 
I want to encourage you, if those of you guys were here a couple weeks ago, to not let that die. There's a great opportunity to respond with joy and with enthusiasm. You know, I was thinking as I was driving in here that there's a phrase that's repeated throughout the Bible. That God is good, or He is good, and His love endures forever. He is good, and His love endures forever. That's the God who wants to direct your paths. He's not shaming you. He's not criticizing you. He came to rescue you and set you on a right path. And it starts with His love, and we just simply respond. So we're going we're to respond in a moment with prayer and with some singing. Some of you may want to come forward and respond and write some prayers down. You might want to pray with some of our prayer team. I'd encourage you to actively be involved in the worship. Don't simply take it as a concert. Do something if you have to. One finger, three hands, you know, three hands, three fingers. You're, if you've got a third hand, do that, whatever, just <laughs> foot. But respond in some way with your body that says, I'm into this. Tell yourself, when I, after I hear the music, start. I'll put my hands out. I will sing. I will sing. I will pray these prayers. After I hear, I will. So you got a card in your, in your um, I think you got a card in your bulletin. Did you get a little card in there? Someone nod so I know for sure. So I have a little card that says after I. Okay, right now do this. I'm going to give you a second as I almost trip on this wire right here. I'm going to give you a second. What is the habit that God is calling you to initiate that is so incredibly simple? Don't say, you know, I'm going to read five chapters of the Bible a night or I'm going to pray for one hour. I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. and light a candle or do it. Just don't write something so incredible. That's, that's what you want to do. After I, very simple cue, I will. What word is that for you? Write it down right now. Take a moment. The band's going to come up. We're going to respond. Write it down. Take a second. What is God saying to you? Where is that small step that you need to initiate in your life? After you fill this in, put it somewhere where you can see it. Make it public. Put it on your fridge. Put it somewhere where, where it's known to you. Put it on your mirror in the bathroom. Put it in such a way that you'll see it wherever you might go. After I, I will. After I, I will. Jesus, you see us before you. We're people who long for change. We don't often have the sweet. We don't often have the skill. (laughs) I just broke a desk. That's all. Sorry, in the middle of a prayer. I don't know what's going to happen there. Thank you. All right, everybody back here. Come on now. It's not that funny. Come on. (laughs) Let's try that again. Jesus, every one of us in here needs change. We are grateful for the fact that you gave your own life that we might have that kind of change. Lord, we need your help. And we want to have hearts that are sensitive to where your spirit might lead us. So Lord, would you hear our songs? Would you hear our prayers? Would you work in us in powerful ways? Might the great epiphany be today simply this, that we need to take a small step that might cultivate a heart to follow you, Jesus. It's in your name, Father, we pray.